Hi everyone, welcome to the Winging It in Hockey Town podcast. Uh, here's your hosts, I'm Chris Lingwise. And I'm Mike Slipchuk. And we're and happy to another bring... Week. Yeah, another week. Happy to bring episode four to you guys. Um, just seems like the weeks are flying by. Uh, just maybe, maybe it's because uh, I'm working from home and it just every day seems like a freaking blur. Yeah, I mean, as a teacher after Christmas break... Uh, the year just flies by. I mean, before I know it, it'll be uh, spring break and then summer, and we'll repeat again next year. So, absolutely. Uh, I was, sometimes I was... it's nice the year time flies by like that, but other times it's like, where did your day go? Oh, Monday to Friday for me, man. You're you're literally speaking to the choir here. But uh, it was finally nice. Got to finally play hockey uh, this past Monday. Nice to get back out on the ice. Holy crap, or my my thighs were absolutely burning. I mean, I haven't done much exercise in the last five weeks during lockdown. So it was just nice to to, to snag a beer after and, and see everyone and get back on the ice. So Yeah, folks, uh, just a reminder, uh, Mike lives in Ontario where uh, they hamper down every two seconds. So they've had really nothing to do since shortly after Christmas. Uh, they've been locked down there, no sports, no... Uh, Restaurants were not open. Like, just ridiculous. But yeah. uh, anyways, it, you know, people don't realize, especially as you, not that we're old, but, you know, not playing for four weeks, like, holy, you get back in there and you're like, you know, that 40-second uh, shift and you're back on the bench. Oh, gassed. legit. I think my longest shift was literally 45 seconds. And I was like, a couple of my, my line mates were like, man, you're getting off quick. I'm like, I haven't played in five weeks. I'm like, no, I'm already man. out of shape to begin with. And, uh, I, you know, I was gasping for air after, after every shift. I guess that means I put a good effort on the ice. But, uh, no, my girlfriend and I, Sarah, we, uh, we've gotten really good at the Nintendo Switch over the last five weeks. So, um, you know, hey, at least it was good for one thing. I mean, it, it kept us indoors, which is not always great. But, hey, it kept us, you know, plenty busy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to be back out there and, I don't know, like, some days, though, you know, you work all day, you come home, and, like, last night, I, well, I had, we had hockey practice, we had pictures in practice, but then I came home from that at, like, uh, 7.30, and I sat on the couch, and I was almost too tired to really even do anything at that point. I was even too tired to pick what to watch on TV. Well, I, I watched the end of the Wings game, and after that, it was like, ugh, what am I going to yeah. do now? It's, uh... Yeah, the work, the work-life balance. It, I mean, I shouldn't say work-life balance, but work itself really tires you out. Plus, you know, people don't realize like the the cold weather really does beat down on you as well. Like it it does take a physical toll on your body. You know, shoveling well, a mental toll, mental toll for sure. And um, yeah, this week has been minus thirty every day. So the kids have not been able to go outside for recess, and yes, kids not getting recess sucks. For sure. And it's like their release, right? From school. Yeah. And, and that I take them to the gym to play murder ball, but still. Uh, you could probably do that trick um, if you go outside with a, uh, a a glass of water and throw it in the air. It'll probably like turn to snow. I bet you. Have you tried well, it? Well, it's not that cold. But yeah, 30 under would for sure. I guarantee you if you did it tonight, it'd probably work. I don't think so. I, You know, that's uh, there you go. Anybody listening, you can conduct that experiment and let us know who's right. But I don't think... It would actually freeze in midair. 
well, why don't you a little homework <laughs> item, a little homework item for yourself? Why don't you go try it tonight after uh, after recording? And I bet you you'll be surprised. Now, any of the kids listening can do that. That can be their homework. They'll report back to me. Um, but yeah, I know. Um, I know we wanted to touch um, on uh, Chris. I know you had sent uh, that link via TSN. Um, maybe you want to jump into that, and I'll I'll chime in. Um, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was uh, a former Red Wings player, and I didn't I didn't know this about him. But it was a Left Behind episode uh, by TSN about former uh, Red Wings player Ian White. He played defense for a few years in Detroit. He was brought in when Brian Rafalski retired. I, I believe Rafalski retired after the 2011 season. Uh, kind of a shocker. Um, and Ken Holland brought in Ian White, uh, another right shooting defenseman to play alongside Nicholas Lidstrom. And Ian White, his first season in Detroit, you know, I know you're playing with Nick Lidstrom, but he had a pretty respectable season. Um, he, he put up some points. He was decently reliable uh, in our own end. Um, and I, I, I was happy with the signing. Uh, after Listrom retired in 2012, Ian White wasn't as good uh, because he wasn't playing with Listrom. So he was brought back down. and He never was really the same after that, but he still uh, played in Detroit until um, I think it was the 2013 season that he got uh, cut by Jimmy Howard's skate. Um, and it cut his leg pretty bad that you could see the bone. And that was touched on in this this episode. It uh, it's like an eleven minute episode that was brought to you by TSN. And what happened after that was um, Ian White. It was a long recovery. Um, he got addicted to some painkillers, and he kind of lost his position in the NHL. Um, he was one of those players who, you know, in the NHL, so you're a good player, but he was never one of those players who can lock up like a five, six year deal um, and have kind of job security. So he kind of went one, two year deals um, and then you'd have to earn that uh, contract renewal up or try and go, go on to another team. So after his tenure at the Red Wings ended, he went uh, for a tryout with the Winnipeg Jets um, and it didn't pan out. He was cut during the camp. And he resorted, he was actually, during that time, still addicted to painkillers, according to his wife. And he got cut. And he went back to being more addicted to painkillers. His wife reached out to the NHLPA to seek help. And they sent him to rehab in Malibu. And I guess he ran away. He smuggled drugs into the rehab. And it was no help. So he went back home. And a year later, he kind of opened up to the idea that he needed help. So the NHLPA never checked in with Ian White or his wife to see how the rehab in Malibu went. So a year goes by and they realize, well, he realizes that he needs help. So him and his wife check him into rehab themselves. And 
He goes to the rehab. He comes home, and his wife finds him overdosed. Bear in mind, they have two young kids at this time, and so she he was he was um, unconscious, and she gave him CPR till the ambulance arrived, and he was brought back to life in the hospital. And um, so he he survived that, but he still did not get over the drug addiction. Recently, she had contacted the NHLPA. Well, first of all, she finally realized that the Ian White she knew, as she said it, was no longer there. That, that he was a good dad before, but, you know, this Ian White addicted to the painkillers and depression and whatnot was not the same. So she left him with her two kids because it was no longer good for them. So this episode with TSN was really dedicated to raising an awareness of players kind of smaller caliber players who are left behind just because they're not, you know, necessarily an all-star um, and how their families are affected. Um, you know, what would it be like for those two young kids? Their dad was in the NHL when they were probably eight, nine, living the life. And then he kind of loses his way. They lose everything. They lose their house, their cars, their money, everything. Um, and to make it worse, their dad's addicted to painkillers and is a shell of what he was. So to me, that just shows the reality of life for a lot of NHL players. You know, we always talk about um, Sidney Crosby's of the NHL or Dylan Larkin's or um, Nick Lidstrom's, all the top players who make $10 million a year around there, right? So they're set. But these players who kind of just get by, they get forgotten about. And in this situation, their family gets forgotten about. And it's just a shame. And it shows you the true grind of the game. And it shows you how important it is to recognize mental health. Because yes, he got addicted to drugs. But to be cut from the NHL and to lose everything he had definitely took a toll on his mental health. And he was never able to fully recover from that. And that's why he kept resorting to his addictions. Yeah. You know, I, until I saw this, this, uh, this episode brought, uh, brought to us by TSN, I had no idea that Ian White went through that post career. Um, and it goes to show like, even for the, um, and it's not just NHL players, it's everyday people. Um, when they retire, when they step away from their career, the biggest thing that is always the, the stressed on these uh, people that retire is keep a routine, keep busy. Because when you go from, you know, I'm just talking about an everyday person in their career, let's say they're working 40 to 50 hours a week, Monday to Friday or Tuesday to Saturday, whatever it may be, you're used to that routine that is instilled in your everyday life. That's instilled in your nature. And, you know, I see it like I, I, I when my dad retired, I, I, my biggest worry was him, um, and keeping busy. And, you know, he, he ended up getting into a good routine. He goes for walks every day. Um, and you know, they're, my parents are avid golfers. So thankfully, you know, they established that routine and then they also learned that they got to take it back a notch too. Like they're retired. They don't have to be go, go, go all the time, but it is tough for a lot of these players coming out of retirement. They're used to being at the rink. They're used to training. They're used to talking to their uh, sports psychologists. They're used to talking to their agents, their coaches, 
they're players. Um, and when you get out of that routine, it's, it is a kind of a wake up call. And a lot of NHL players get into, to wealth management. Uh, they get back into coaching to keep busy. Uh, you know, they might take a year or two off, um, as, as a retired individual, but they end up getting back into something to keep busy. And, you know, the long list, it's a long, long list of NHL players that have battled uh, drug addiction and mental health. And just to name a few, and a few of them ex-wings, you know, Wade Belak, Darren McCarty, Bob Prober, you know, Darren McCarty and Bob Prober both being ex-Red Wings, Derek Bugard, uh, Theo Fleury, there's another one. And a couple of, you know, uh, rest in peace, you know, RIP to, to Wade Belak and Bob Probert and Derek Bugard. Um, and, you know, they do relate some of these mental health issues to concussions that are sustained uh, by these NHL players in, during their careers. And, you know, you look at a case like Wade Belak or Derek Bugard, they were never superstars. They were those fourth light type of players. Wade Belak could play forward or D, but they were fighters. They were enforcers. Um, so, you know, maybe it has to do with some of the concussions that they sustained that were maybe undiagnosed throughout their career. Um, but a lot of the times they have, uh, when they do retire, they get into that, that state of depression and then they, uh, to cope with it, a lot of them do resort to booze and, uh, you know, alcohol and, and drugs. Right. Um, so I think moving forward, I think the NHLPA is, is doing a better job of recognizing these, these gaps, um, in, in mental health awareness for players that are still playing and players that move into their retirement phase, but, uh, it's, it needs to continue to grow, um, because it's in every facet of life. And I can only, you know, we'll touch on that every single episode. It, it really truthfully is in every facet of life. So hopefully the NHLPA continues to, to grow that aspect of awareness. Um, but yeah, no, I, thanks for bringing that to my attention, Chris. I had no idea, um, you know, Ian White post-career and, and what, challenges he really really did face and currently is facing yeah yeah along with his family and like another thing that um to go along with everything is a lot of these players who you know they make like ian white made decent money when he played in the nhl but again he was not making 10 million dollars a year uh you're even seven million dollars a year so when they're playing they have the nice houses, they have the nice cars because they are making quite a bit more money than an average person. But if, especially if your career is cut short, uh, you know, it ends sooner than you anticipated it to, and you no, no longer are making the money that you're used to, it's very easy to lose a lot of what you, you had. So that, and that could, that same could be said for any job. You know, when you, when you go into retirement, you have to be prepared financially to retire because otherwise you're going to end up needing to get another job elsewhere. So uh, it's a lot harder for those kind of NHL players to have a happy retirement financially if they're not prepared for it. A hundred percent. And like, you you know, they have that constant paycheck coming in every week or every, you know, bi-weekly. I don't know how it works with the NHL, but um, it is a huge wake up call. Like the day that you do retire and let's say you're not pursuing a, another career or position after retirement, you have to adjust accordingly, especially when you have family and kids. And I'm the biggest advocate, you know, you, your money goes towards your kids. You're, you're investing a lot of time and money towards your kids and that should be priority number one. Um, but 
you know, you, you're used to having that income coming in and it completely is, it blinds, blindsides a lot of these athletes uh, that, you know, that don't have the financial management skills or just the budgeting awareness. And um, I think it, it stems back to even like high school days. And I know they're trying to incorporate this in the schools, which I think would be an awesome course to incorporate is just typical budgeting. Um, you know, how to build out for a mortgage, how to save for a house, how to save for retirement, how yeah. to have that spending money as well to go on trips and, and you know, and spend for personal enjoyment. So it is, um, it is a huge gap in today's society for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love, besides gym, math is probably the subject I enjoy teaching the most. And the, the reason that kids like math so much is because it's relevant to them if you make it relevant to them. So especially as they get older, having them think in terms of real life expenses makes it so much more interesting for them. They're willing to learn the, the, the ideas or concepts. Um, a lot of the high school level math just becomes goofy unless you're going into a field that requires it. So I'm happy to see uh, the Ontario government is changing that and adding budgeting, as you're saying, which I think is a really good step that all the provinces should look at um, because it's so much more beneficial because, you know, high school kids, they're still kids and they're, I think as time goes on, they're more, more, I don't want to say childish, but they're more kid-like than grade 12 kids were even just uh, in 2009 when we graduated. I, I find, I don't know, kids just don't seem to age as quick. Uh, they don't think about real life things until it's almost too late. Like, what about university costs if they want to go to university? Buying their first home, as you alluded to will they have to move away and live on their own? These are all things that they need to think about, but they don't until it's too late. And then, you know, some of them struggle to make ends meet. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Well said. Um, I mean, I, I have nothing else to touch on uh, with regards to that topic, but yeah, no, I, I, I urge all listeners to go and spend that time whenever you get a free, you know, 10, 15 minutes to go watch that, that video and that, that, link um, yeah it was an excellent video yeah no it's uh it opens up your mind and perspectives um and and you know i try to put myself in his wife's um position i believe her name is tess uh, yes if i'm not mistaken tess uh tess white so uh, i could just you know put yourself into her position and her kid's position i mean what a challenge um, and, so and the awesome thing about her is you know in that 11 minute episode she only had really good things to say about her husband, Ian. It'd be so easy to just blame him and everything else for kind of neglecting her and the kids. But that, that wasn't her intention. Her intention, intention was to raise awareness for players going through this and making sure they and their families get the support they need. For sure. So and, I applaud and- her for that. I applaud. Yeah, absolutely. I commend her for that too. And the fact that she's able to, uh, she was able to put up with it so many years and, and stay by his side, stay by the kid's side. Right. Um, no, it's, it's fantastic. So listeners definitely give that a shot. Uh, it's, it'll, it's very humbling to say the least. 
Yeah. So that takes us to our agenda. And I don't think I said it in the opening. So we've called episode four Outshot Again because lo and behold, (laughs) the Red Wings were outshot last night against the LA Kings again. And, you know, it's just same old story, right? They get outworked. They didn't have their legs. They were outshot and outchanced, outshot, you name it. Yeah. And what does it come back to? We'll talk about it later on. Coaching. So here is today's agenda. We are going to start by talking about the recent uh, two games against the Anaheim Ducks and the LA Kings. Then we'll move on to talk about Verbeek leaving the Red Wings and moving on to become general manager of the Ducks. We'll also touch on Joe Valeno. Number three, we'll talk about Jamal Smith's debut with the Detroit Red Wings. Pretty exciting for the Smith family. Then we'll go on and talk about some things going on around the NHL. And lastly, we'll touch on uh, some other important things going on in the sports world. Yeah, I guess so. Jumping into uh, item one. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best way to put the title, and it was the best title option that we could come up with. It's just a a never-ending story this year for the Red Wings. And, you know, I know they're in a rebuild. I get that. They're going through the development pains, the challenges, and the growth opportunities that we have seen. There's been a lot of growth with this team. But, you know, very rarely do you – on a consistent basis, if you're consistently outshot and this goes against young hockey players uh, too, as well. And and for young hockey players, I should say, you can't always rely on the goaltender to, to come up with the big saves. Like, yes, that is what a goalie is there for to, to, to get you through, um, you know, a lot of pressure in your defensive zone, but getting outshot consistently is never a good recipe for success. And, you know, yes, they did come out with the win there um, against the the Ducks in, in overtime. It was very exciting, and I you know I guess shedding some positivity on it. Congrats to Jordan Osili for his first goal as a Red Wing. Um, you know, right off the the offensive zone draw, you know, whips a wrist shot past uh, Gibson there. Um, so it was super exciting to see that. Obviously, it pumped up the team to see him. He's been such a good teammate. I feel like, and you know, he's brought Jordan Osili's brought a lot to the table for for what he signed for, he's not brought in as a top, top two, top three, top four defenseman, but he's been pretty steady on the back end. And well, I'll um, tell you, I like him playing with Cider a lot more than the Geyser. Absolutely. He's been, he, you know, he's a very smart, efficient player. He doesn't, he doesn't electrify you with his speed, his hands, his shot. He just, he makes that efficient pass leaving the, the uh, defensive zone. He's smart in the neutral zone. And then, you know, even when he's on the line in the offensive zone, He's able to, you know, he makes a smart play, whether it's, you know, down low in the corner, uh, whether it's off the backboards or whether it's just a simple shot on net that might generate a rebound or at least a face off in the offensive zone. So good for Jordan uh, Osterley. And um, yeah, I mean, they, they came out with, um, you know, the 2-1 victory. But what was crazy in that game was the heronic disallowed goal, Chris. I know uh, you, you weren't too happy about that, nor was I. That is garbage. This is what the NHL are a bunch of stupid idiots sometimes. Like, there's no other way to put it. Um, and this goes back years. Years. Um, I, I won't even get into goalie interference yet. But 
this video review nonsense is stupid. They never get it right. They are so inconsistent. That was not a kicking motion. That should have been a goal. No question. Um, they the, the, the refs look at this screen that is smaller than this sheet of paper because the NHL apparently can't afford shit, okay? And so let's look at this screen for two minutes and determine, was it a kicking motion? Eh, well, no, it was not a kicking motion. That was a horrible call, and that could have costed a team two important points. Now, the Red Wings are not going to make the playoffs this year. They're, they're not expected to. But if they were, and we lost this game, that would be on the refs, and that's garbage, and that needs to not happen. But it doesn't just happen with kicking motion. It happens with the offside review, and the, the worst one of all is the goalie interference review. Because Agreed. it's all up to the discretion of these moronic refs who all have a different interpretation of uh, what to call. Well, and, and what is, is crazy, because the refs are in different posi- positions on the ice. And so one angle, it could look completely different from another angle, right? And I don't and, care and, what their angles are. No. When, they, when they have this stupid little tablet here, you know, they're, they're on here, okay? They're checking things over. They can see what we see on TV. It, you know, I get your point back in the day when all those horrible non-call, uh, no goals uh, allowed on Thomas Holmstrom. That, that, that is different because it's different angles and it's live as it happens. Uh, you know, I can, I can understand that. But when you have access to video review on your little monitor and you still can't get it right, that's a problem. And it's not just this game. The NHL always has this problem. Yeah, it's and these disallowed goals, or if they allow a goal and overturn a call, it, it's such a momentum swing, right? Like if yeah. you picture it, like if you're in the playoffs, let's say the Red Wings were playing the Ducks in the playoffs, um, and let's just say it's a different outcome at that time that it was disallowed. Let's say it was one-to-one, right? Um, and I, I'm not even speaking with regards to the Ducks-Wings game, but if it was one-to-one and they overturn or they call a no goal because the play is offside by three inches. Oh my God, the ref missed. Like it's to the human eye. Like you're going to miss like three inches is really nothing, but the momentum shifters. So let's say, you know, the ducks challenge that um, no goal or offside, whatever the case may be, the momentum shifts towards Anaheim's favor because they have now they overturn the call. It's disallowed. And it literally is, uh, you know, detrimental to the team that well, it's for that. All we have to do is go back to the 2009 playoffs game three against the ducks. What happened? Marion Hosa scored game. last minute. Who scored? Marion Hosa. Marion Hosa scored. That's right. And unfortunately, the, whistle. the idiots determined that that was no goal. Why? Well, I'm sorry. I know I'm a biased Red Wings fan. But let me tell you, listeners, there's not many teams that get favored more than the Ducks. They always get favored. And I just question, like, what's going on? Like, that Heronic goal, I'm sorry. There was no kicking motion. And we were playing the Ducks here. I wonder if we weren't playing, I don't know, 
Uh, Toronto, would it have been no goal? I don't know. I honestly don't because the Ducks always get favored. Always. Yeah, and you're allowed – so for those listeners that aren't aware with, with regards to this call, like you're allowed now to um, redirect the puck and you're allowed to shift your skate and move your skate around to redirect it. The way I saw it was more of a redirection than a, a distinct like kicking motion. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he definitely changed the angle of his foot. Ken Daniels was pissed. He could not believe – like he was sure that that was going to be a good goal. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, we've been through these video reviews before. And, yeah. you know, that is almost always called a goal. But for some unknown reason, those dumb refs decided it wasn't. Now, I think the solution, there's two solutions to this problem. Option A, get rid of the review altogether. The refs call it on the ice as they see it. That's it. Same with or the option offside. two. One person from Toronto to, makes all decisions because at least then it's consistent. It's the same person with the same um, thought process, but the way it is now is garbage and it needs to be changed. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, but you know, at least we did come out with the W there. Uh, but yeah, very frustrating to see that one called back and, you know, it's a common theme. It's happening to all these teams now in the NHL and I mean it's last year in the playoffs the refing in general was the worst refing I've ever seen in the playoffs um the NHL needs to address their refing their review process their refing in general um as much as I hate the Montreal Canadiens the refing in the Stanley Cup finals last year was a joke yo and and, you know Tampa is Tampa was a way better team Montreal good for them for making it that far but you know, Tampa still deserved to win that series when you look oh, at the no they question, have. no question. But 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 the, but the penalties that were called towards the Montreal against the Montreal Canadiens, it was laughable at best. Um, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. But you know, moving ahead um, to uh, the next game there um, Wednesday night against the Kings, obviously another two in a row losses to the uh, LA Kings, um, dating back not, to n- the not Rochelle. just losses, slaughters. Uh, yeah. In terms of shots. Yeah. So they lost 5 3 to the LA Kings and uh, they got outshot 45 to 25. Like, <laughs> it's just a, a recipe that the Red Wings have had all year. Um, their uh, game a few weeks ago when they were on the road against LA, they got outshot 42 to 21. So you think after the first time that they lost 4 nothing on the road, they would learn, okay, maybe we've got to get some more shots. And when I say shots, I'm not necessarily just saying high-quality chances in the slot, you know, two-on-ones, odd-man rushes. I'm talking like if you don't have a play, it's never a bad play to get it on net. You can, A, get a face-off, get a juicy rebound for a guy out front, or, you know, you get, you get in the goalie's head a bit. Maybe they have trouble stopping the puck from an odd angle. Like, they, I just... It doesn't make sense why I don't know whether Jeff Blaschel or not stressed this to the team, but they need to get more shots and they also in turn need to limit the shots that they're getting on net. Cause you know, Nadalkovich can't be there every game standing on his head. Like that just brings in fatigue and they're going to have to learn moving forward. If they're going to want to be a good team, they're really going to have to learn how to limit the shots against, and they're going to have to start getting more shots for when the Red Wings were successful they were uh, they always led the league in shots for per game. 
Uh, shots they were for always, and shots against, yeah. Shots for and shots against per, uh, per game. They limited the amount of shots. They were in the uh, they were in the lower ends for shots against, and they're in they were always in the higher end for shots for per game. No, it's all so, puck possession. Yeah, it's all puck well, possession. I mean, it's it's funny because the game against the Ducks, the Ducks managed a measling fifteen shots against Detroit, and then you fast forward to the next game against LA, and they allow forty five shots. By LA. Uh, to me, it shows progress in some ways, but too often this coaching staff does not have this team prepared every game. Every game. And I find a lot of their games, there's two trends. First trend is kind of like. Last night against the Kings, the Red Wings don't show up to play and they allow a lot of shots and they're getting outplayed, out chance. And then the last 10 minutes or so, they start to think, oh, well, we need to start playing. And that's what they do. And they almost make a comeback. They pulled Nedeljkovic. They got scored on, empty net goal. They pulled Nedeljkovic again. Detroit scored. Yeah, and I guess like positives from the game that I can, you know, Nedeljkovic still played really well. He he did let in um, a soft goal there, like it was a, it was a weak rebound um, for the first goal. Uh, the guy kind of shot it in from the point, and it was a juicy rebound. The guy uh, Philip Deneau picked it up and put it in the top corner. But other than that, he played fantastic. So there's positive one, positive two. Uh, Philip Zadina uh, looked good. That line actually looked really well. Uh, or played really well, Rasmussen, Ernie, and Zadina. Zadina actually picked up an assist on Rasmussen's goal there. Um, and you could see how pumped up the line was, especially Zadina, because um, I know he almost buried the one rebound, um, and then it went to Rasmussen, and then he buried it in. And also, the yeah, the when they pulled the goalie um, to make it uh, 4-3, Valeno scored a really, really nice goal. I thought he, the, his patience on that play, he looked like a, you know, a 30-year-old that has been in the league for 12 years. His patience... He, he got the goalie down, and he was able to go to the left side and put it in the top corner and lift it over his pad. So, it you know, for a young player, his first year really in the league, I thought that was fantastic that he had that kind of patience. So there was some positives from the game, but overall, the outcome was not what we wanted, obviously, as a Red Wings fan. And they have a lot to hit the drawing board with over this this uh, break. Um, once well, one, one thing that I find interesting is, you know, they get outshot this badly and kind of their zone time, they, they didn't have much zone time. They were hemmed in a lot. Who was back in the lineup? Oh, Danny DeKaiser. Danny DeKaiser. The guy sucks. He's brutal. He, he can't make plays at all. And every time he plays, we have lower possession numbers. It's not a coincidence. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate to see because like when he first came in the league, I really thought he was a really swift, good stay-at-home defenseman that could pitch in offensively. He's a good skater. He had decent hands. He was a good stretch pass person. But his game has just plummeted these last you know few seasons, especially this season and last season. And that's why he's been a healthy scratch. Like he's just yeah. not really up to par. And the only reason he was in the lineup was because Nick Letty was out with um, uh, an injury from the Anaheim game, the Trevor mm-hmm. Zegers hit. He has an upper body injury, but it might be concussion protocol there. So, you know, it goes to show like Nick Letty has not been playing great, but he's still a 
you know, a half-ass Nick Letty is better than Danny DeKaiser. Um, a pylon so, is better than Danny DeKaiser. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, and that's why I think Oshley's taken over his position in the lineup. And that's, you know, I do commend Belasho for that. I will say that. I It's nice to see him stick with Oshley in the lineup. But, like I said, Oshley keeps it simple. Um, you know, he's very efficient on the blue line. He's a good breakout player. Not the over- overly big uh, player, but... He's just very efficient and he's smart defensively. I mean, he did make a mistake against LA um, when he did pinch in, but I wouldn't even, I shouldn't even say that. It wasn't even a mistake. When he pinched in in the neutral zone, uh, and this is for young hockey players too. So if you're, if you see your, yeah, yeah. So if you see your defenseman pinching in in the neutral zone and or the offensive zone, you got to have one of the forwards has to be staying high to cover that. And you got to cover that defenseman's position because the last thing you want is a, a loose puck to, to exit the zone or, you know, get on the stick of uh, the opposing player because essentially it's going to be an odd man rush. And yeah. on that play, I know Fabry was on the ice and Fa- I think it was Fabry's play. He should have been covering Osterly there and he tried to um, retrieve the puck again in the neutral zone and probably fire it back in the offensive zone. Uh, so I wouldn't blame Osterly on that one. But, uh, yeah, Osley has just been a very efficient player for the Red Wings, and that's yeah. why he's... And on that two-on-one goal, I personally thought Lindstrom didn't do a good enough job blocking the pass. I know, I know it's, you know, easier said than done. But I just felt he gave he, he gave too much. Let let him shoot the puck at Ndelkovich. Don't for let sure. him pass the puck. Um, yeah. And but the way... then on, back to the coaching... That exact same play almost happened again a few minutes later. L.A. had the same players, another two-on-one. Like, the exact same the exact same play, and Delkovich stopped it. But it's like, Flashel, are we talking to our players about what to do and what not to do? For sure. And it, it's like, that's what, and, and in recent games, when the Red Wings have blown leads or uh, blown a game where they're still in, uh, from a score, uh, you know, scoring wise, there it's a close game. They are notorious for um, poor odd man rushes against. And yes, mm-hmm. is that it does reflect on the players on the ice? Absolutely. Um, these guys are professionals. They need to know where they got to be on at all times on the ice. That's why they're getting paid the big bucks. But at the same time, too, it's it's bench management as well. Yeah. And the bench management has been atrocious. The last yeah. couple of weeks, and that and that goes back to what I was saying before uh, about the type of games Red Wings have. I I had said there's games like last night where they get outshot, outplayed, but they try and turn it on in the last ten minutes. But then the other type was like against the Maple Leafs, where they play a great forty minutes or even fifty minutes. Sometimes they have their lead, two goal lead, and then they just fall apart. That happens over and over as well. So well, and you, th- there's two problems that all stem from coaching not able to have their players consistently perform for 60 minutes. And it's not just this season either. Yeah, and you alluded to it, I think it was last episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, it might have been episode, no, it was episode three. You mentioned that the Wings are have let in the most third-period goals in the league. Like, there's no coincidence why they've had collapses. You yeah. you get a, consistently you get outscored in the third period, and typically I would say by far the third period is the most important period. You know you could be down two goals, you could be up two goals. 
uh, you could be up three goals in the third period. I've seen many three goal collapses, but yeah. that comes that comes down to bench management. Like at some point, and what doesn't make sense is our decor has gotten better. Like on paper, the talent that we have, you add Cider, you add Letty. Those are two really good guys that we were lacking the last few seasons. Yeah. So there's no reason why our team defense should be worse. And the fact that we have a way better goalie, we have a world-class goalie in Adelkovic, the way he's performing this year, yeah. that is, yeah. that's bench management, 1,000%. Yeah. And I, I mean, we have to assume that these are all things that Steve Eiserman and Nick Lidstrom and company are watching and hopefully making decisions on going into the offseason. Oh, at this point, I bet you <laughs> Mr. Eiserman's got uh, um, a notepad filled with uh, with notes uh, from this but season. Anyway, Flash will be coaching house league next year. <laughs> if he can even manage that. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, obviously not not a fun not a fun loss. I, I was pretty frustrated with it. I mean, I'm, I wasn't as frustrated with that loss as the loss to the Leafs. But still, nonetheless, it was yeah, a loss. I never that liked could, losing to the Leafs. No, but it was it was a loss that was, annoying. you know the game against LA was a loss that was avoidable for sure. Just defensive breakdowns and yeah. not capitalizing on some of your opportunities, and also it goes back to getting outshot, outchanced. Yeah. Um, and LA's done that two times this year against us yeah. on the road and in uh, at Little Caesars Arena, and it's it's just inexcusable. But uh, I guess you know, Chris, I don't know if you have anything else you want to touch on on that. No, no, the Red Wings are going into a break here and. Um... So they'll have to regroup and come back and finish out the season. For sure. So moving along into uh, to item two, um, recent news uh, over the last couple of days, um, Pat Verbeek, you know, longtime Red Wings player um, and, uh, you know, past or post-retirement became the, uh, he worked with Steve Eisman actually um, for, as the assistant GM and director of player personnel for the Tampa Bay Lightning alongside Steve. Uh, from t- 2012 to 2019, and then once 2019 hit and Eisman came over to the Red Wings, he ended up becoming the assistant GM uh, for the Detroit Red Wings, and he served for three years uh, in that role and then ended up taking over the GM position of the Grand Rapid Griffins, so the AHL team and farm team for the Red Wings. He took that over in August of 2021, so he is moving on. Um, I mean, it's not confirmed, but uh, he, it is expected that he's going to be named the Anaheim Ducks GM. No, it, it has been confirmed. It is confirmed now. Okay. The, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, posted on social media, wishing him luck. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, and he was, and he was a great hockey player too. You know, he, uh, he did play for the Red Wings, uh, amidst many other teams as well during his career. I, you know, I think it's, um, I, I was a little bit surprised by the move, um, especially given where the Red Wings are anticipated to go with this rebuild. And what Steve Eisman really envisions for the future for this team. And, you know, as exciting as it is right now to be a Red Wings fan, I, I was a little bit surprised. But, you know, it's a great opportunity for him in, in uh, you know, in Anaheim and taking over that team. And they also have, you know, they're in the middle of a rebuild right now, but have some very, very exciting pieces. And, you know, Trevor Zegers, you know, tops the list along with Troy Terry. But um, I don't know how much this move is really going to impact the Red Wings. You know, I, I think... Steve Eisman clearly values uh, his work ethic and his, um, you know, his hockey knowledge. He had him with Tampa and brought him over to Detroit when he became the Red Wings GM. But I think maybe, maybe it had something to do with the Lidstrom hiring um, and 
you know, Litchum transitioning into this VP of hockey operations role, or it could have just been that he got a better opportunity elsewhere. He probably knows that Steve Eisman's going nowhere anytime soon with regards to his general management position. Yeah. Um, I'm very confident in that, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, I, we wish him luck, but I don't think it's going to be a huge negative impact. No, I, I think Eisman has surrounded himself with so many uh, strong hockey minds that he is in a good position to foresee and plan out where this team is going. And, you know, does it does it suck for, uh, for Eisenman to lose Rubik? Yeah. But is that going to really hurt Eisenman? No. It's it's going to be a good good um, opportunity for, for Rubik, like you said. And at the end of the day, I know um, Eisenman will be supporting him. So congratulations sure. to Rubik. And... If the Red Wings meet the Ducks in any Stanley Cup final in the future, I hope we take your Ducks down. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Anaheim Ducks is a, they're an interesting team. I think I think the world of Trevor Zegers, man, does that kid have so much um, electrifying skills? Like, you know, the, the Michigan goal the other night that he scored around the net, you know, picking the puck up on his stick and going far down. Um, the play he made earlier, I believe it was in Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, where he flicked the puck over the net. I know Datsuk's done that numerous times with the Red yeah. Wings, but the fact that he was able to um, capitalize it and put it on the the other player's stick, and the guy knocked it out of the air, like he's just one of many uh, bright spots for that team. Cam Fowler still a great defenseman. Troy yeah. Terry is absolutely killing it this year. He is another fantastic hockey player. They got Comtois. Um, who, who played uh, numerous times in the World Juniors, like they're they are not far off from being a very competitive team, and, and very well they might make the playoffs this year. They're in the playoff hunt right now, and uh, super exciting for those fans. And and you know, yeah, we wish Pat Verbeek a lot or a lot um, a lot of success, I should say. And I'm sure he'll do quite uh, quite well with uh, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, so or Anaheim Ducks, I should say. But uh, yeah, and I guess that being said, you know, recent news too, uh, Joe Valeno was sent down um, to the Grand Rapids Griffins. Um, I, for this, I think it's more of a play because of the break coming up with the Olympics. Um, I think they're going to give him some time down there so he can kind of stay on the ice, stay fresh uh, and ready to go for when the break ends. Um, and, and you know what? It's going to allow him to, to build up some of his confidence because realistically, Valeno is going to get you know, top line minutes uh, with Grand Rapids and, you know, it'll build up his confidence. He'll be able to hopefully put up some points, goals and assists. He's going to get a lot more ice time than he is currently with the Red Wings on the fourth line. Uh, And I think it's going to be a beneficial move for Joe Valeno's development for the rest of the season and moving forward. Um, But, you know, he did end his uh, stint with the Red Wings for the time being on, on on a bright note and a positive note by scoring that goal against the Kings. And I thought it was a beauty, Yeah, but uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out um, over the next couple weeks and uh, after the Olympic break. Yeah, and the only other thing is to highlight the NHL debut of Jamal Smith. Yeah, congrats to Jamal Smith. Um, you know, he he didn't play a whole lot. He only played five minutes and fifty three seconds there against the LA Kings. But I really commend him. He came in and. You know, I always say that Tyler Bertuzzi is the energy guy on this team. Tyler Bertuzzi gets the team pumped up. He's He brings the emotion. He brings the raw emotion, the raw motivation. 
and he gets the team pumped up, whether he's scoring a big goal, a big hit, a big defensive play. But Jamel Smith did exactly that, what Tyler Bertuzzi typically does. He, you know, he, he got into a fight, um, you know, threw a couple fists and did a, you know, a hell of a good job at doing it. Um, and, and it really, you could see it pumped up the arena. It pumped up the entire Red Wings bench. They got a little bit of step in their game after that as well. Um, it was just, you know, it was too bad. I was really hoping to see him play on the, on the same line as his brother, Giovanni. And of that course, Blasio, too much, though. yeah, yeah. No. Blasio scratches, uh, Giovanni Smith. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he scratches uh, Giovanni. I thought, and I think the reason that he brought Jamel in was to really help kickstart, um, Giovanni's career and get some momentum going as well. Um, you know, Jamel is, is a fourth line player. He's an enforcer. He's a gritty type of guy. Um, and I hope they get the chance to play on the same line together. Cause I think that's going to be awesome. Like I can only imagine, like I've said, it wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if they became the modern day grind line. And maybe, you know what, that could be, maybe that is Eisenman's vision that he has. No one really knows. Eisenman is very poker face when it comes to hockey. Uh, but it could be that Mitch Stevens centers that fourth line and you got Jamel and Giovanni on his wings and would make for a great, great fourth line. It, it's a good, good mix of speed, size, skill, tenacity, work aggressiveness, ethic. work yeah. ethic. Um, so later this season, I really, really do hope Jamel and Giovanni play together. It was too bad that he didn't get to play his first Red Wings game alongside his brother. But, um, you know, I commend him. He had a great fight there, and it did pump up the team. So that is exactly yeah. why Steve Eisman brought this gentleman in, yeah. is, is for that reason, to, um, to get under the opposition's skin and to, you know, kind of stir the pot, right, and, and get the team going when they needed it. Yeah. So congrats to Jamel. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, many more games as a Red Wing. And, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out for the rest of the season. But uh, I guess, Chris, I don't know if you have anything more to touch on that, but if not... Uh, quickly to touch on some of the... Stuff going around the NHL? Yeah, for sure. So um, the ever since this signing, I was, you know, I, I'm actually very, I'm pleasantly supply, surprised. Uh, Evander Kane um, signing with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, if, if those listeners that don't know, um, the Oilers are actually 6-0-1 in their last really? seven games. <laughs> yeah, so good for them. And honestly, I, I kind of want to bring up the point that we, when we talked about in episode two, I believe it was episode two that we said um, it was the game against Calgary that Edmonton played and they were yeah, down two back. nothing. Yeah. We're yeah. down two nothing. And they came out flying in the second period. They ended up winning that game and they ended up um, scoring, I believe it was three goals in the second period. So yeah. like I said, sometimes like hockey is such a team sport. Sometimes all you need is a, um, a good solid period uh, where, you know, a confidence booster. And then sometimes it does jumpstart and kickstart the team. And ever since then, they've been, wow, what a pleasant surprise, uh, especially from a record standpoint. You know, 6-0-1 in their last seven is Ken Holland's got to be happy. <laughs> For sure. He, they, he, he was betting a lot on them just finding their game. Yeah, they were they were under a lot of, a lot of pressure, you know, all the way from the coach, the GM to the players, especially Drysettle and McDavid. So, um, and then, you know, pleasant surprise from um, Evander Kane. He's, he's put up a couple goals there. And, uh, you know, he's really fit in nicely thus far. I mean, it's only been a few games, but 
Um, we'll have to stay tuned on that and see how the Edmonton yeah. Oilers continue that progression. So, yeah. It, the only other thing I wanted to talk about around the NHL really was the Toronto Maple Leafs. After playing Detroit last, uh, you know, our last episode touched on it. Toronto went on to play the New Jersey Devils, and they went into the third period down four to two. And kind of a similar story to Detroit. Toronto ended up, you know, coming out and playing, and they ended up winning the game seven to four. And I just want to again point out it's another reason why they are just, they are a regular season team. Think back to the San Jose Sharks for years. They would dominate the regular season, and they're choking the playoffs. It happened every year with Thornton, Marlowe, and all those guys. I foresee this is the modern-day San Jose Sharks, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are not designed for the playoffs. And unless they make a move for a, a, a much more of a top-end caliber defenseman, they're screwed. Well, you know, the Leafs, they have endless amounts of talent. And, you know, I honestly, I know you probably say otherwise, it would it be nice to, for the Leafs fans to see um, them win a cup and hoist a cup? Absolutely. Uh, for the city of Toronto, for Canada, uh, it's, you know, it's the, it'd be the first time since, I believe, 1967. But I like you, that. Keep it going. You just, Sorry. <laughs> you, as a reasonable hockey mind, you <laughs> You can't sit there and tell me that in the last 25, 30, 40 years, no team has won on just pure offense. It is literally impossible. And that's why the Capitals struggled all those years until they brought in the right coach who's defensive-minded. He built in a defensive structure. The players abided by it. They uh, they believed in their coach. And they ended up winning a cup, and they finally got past Pittsburgh because they had never really gotten past Pittsburgh prior to that. Crosby always had that te- that Pittsburgh team ready to play the Capitals. So, yeah, in you know, one or two games in the playoffs, you might win 7-5, to 5-4, five, 7-4 five to four, seven to four in this case, the Leafs beating the Devils. But you cannot consistently score that amount of goals in the playoffs. It just does not happen. No. The playoffs is a different beast than the regular yeah. season. It is not even close because you are in a seven-game series with the same team. You're not just playing different teams. You know, the, the teams match each other from a line perspective. Uh, home ice advantage is huge. Coaches take advantage of that with which line they want to put out there. And, you know, you get a line, you know, let's just say they play Tampa in the first round. You get uh, Kucherov or Braden Point out there against a guy like Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin, who Jake Muzzin, yes, is a very good shutdown defenseman, but both defensemen are quite slow. You get those two caliber style players out there in a seven-game series especially at home when John Cooper can elect to put those players out against those defensemen, they're going to eat them alive. Exactly. And not to mention, not to mention like this is an example, obviously I'm not saying this is going to happen, but Vasilevsky is not going to be letting in five or six goals a game. It is not going to happen. Not to mention the Tampa Bay defensemen are one of the best decors in the NHL, if not the best, and they are going to limit the quality of, scoring chances that uh, Vasilevsky has to face. Yeah. So they need to tighten up defensively. Um, I know it's still early. It's only February, but yes, they need it. My, if I'm a, a Leafs fan, 
I am hoping they get a sturdy, sturdy back-end defenseman that can play top three minutes. When the Red Wings are done their rebuild and they're playing competitive hockey again and you know, top of the league, kind of like they were back when we were in high school and younger, I, I would not be happy as a fan if they're winning a game 7-4 to or 7-5 to um, because I would know there's some issues there, especially when yeah. it's happening consistently. The Maple Leafs have work to do still. That, that's, that's my basic, uh, basic takeaway, unless you have anything more to say. Yeah, no, it's exciting to, to see your team score seven goals, but then to consistently, consistently allow three, four, five goals, there's a, there's a gap there. Like, yeah, it's, it's fun to see, you know, uh, your team light the lamp six, five, six, seven times, but there's, there's some issues that need to be hashed out there before the playoffs. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's just our tidbit on, on the Leafs. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, other than that, um, I, I did want to give a shout out to, um, uh, ex Detroit Lion Matt Stafford. Um, what a, what an it? I mean, Chris, I don't know if you caught the the football games this past weekend, but honestly, like, I'm not a huge football guy myself, but it was really exciting to watch both games. Um, you know, KC uh, and Cincinnati was a nail biter. Down, you know, it went to overtime, and uh, you know, good for Cincinnati. I'm always down to support an, an underdog. And in that game, KC was the heavy favorite, and Cincinnati came out on top. And it just goes to show you, like. You know, you could be the favored team or the favorite team in the matchup, but, you know, whoever shows up to play, that's typically who wins, right? And, uh, you know, Matt Stafford, in his case, with the LA Rams, they beat uh, San Francisco there. Um, good for him. And he, you could just see he prides himself in being an LA Ram. And that trade that had sent him from Detroit to LA has just paid dividends for him. And I really truthfully hope he wins the Super Bowl. Um, I think it is absolutely fantastic for him and his wife, Kelly, and the city of LA as well, um, being a newer franchise. If they uh, are able to win that Super Bowl, it's just super exciting. I mean, it's just an opportunity he would have never gotten in Detroit. And, um, and it goes to show you, like, uh, there's a couple other players, you know, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders. Uh, two players that were arguably the best at their position that played for the Lions and they never had a chance at winning. So good for Matt Stafford and his family. And, um, you know, I did feel really, really bad uh, for, uh, I believe it's Debo, Debo Samuel. Uh, my apologies if I mis, uh, mispronounced that, but he was on the sideline. He's a San Francisco 49er player. He did miss an interception um, that probably if he had, he caught that probably would have won San Francisco the game. Um, but it goes to show you camaraderie, professionalism, and empathy is in all sports. It's not just hockey. Um, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. being on the LA Rams went over to console uh, Debo um, as he was, you know, he was in tears crying. And it just goes to show you the professionalism as well um, that that took place. That that was really like touching when I when watching that. Um, so I, I do feel really, really bad for that, that player, but, um, it happens. The pressure can get to you sometimes and, uh, that's just professional sports. Yeah. Intense, intense, intense. And we can't always control the outcome. Nope. Absolutely. And as much as fans, as much as we want to control the outcome, it just, you can't, you're, we're sitting there watching and, uh, whatever happens, happens. If I could control the outcome, Nick Listrom scored in the last minute of the 2009 playoffs in Game 7 against Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, that's I know. the one moment I would change. <laughs> you know, I tried forgetting that in my memory, but thanks. Oh, for I know. Me. I know. It's, ugh, irritates me. Now I'm irritated. This is great. Well, folks, we uh, we did our best. We kept it at an hour. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, you know, stay tuned for episode five uh, next week. Um, and uh, yeah, as as always, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we do really appreciate it. We appreciate the support. And just just so you know, and just to reiterate, we do love doing this. Um, it is an absolute passion, um, not only to talk about hockey, but to talk about the other items, life, other sports, NHL. So thanks so much. Yeah, and if you guys uh, enjoy listening, um, please make, make sure you uh, subscribe to us on Spotify or whatever you're listening on just so you can get updates easily. And uh, yeah, as Mike said, we, we definitely enjoy the time to talk about life and talk about hockey. And it's, it's definitely something we're passionate about. And, you know, even, even some of our listeners might not even be avid hockey fans necessarily. But they still tune in just to, to, to kind of hear what we have to say. And we really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, have a good, uh, good rest of your week and uh, an even better next week. And, uh, yeah, we, look, we definitely look forward to uh, bringing Episode 5 to you guys. Hopefully we can have a, a better title than uh, what we did today. Hopefully the Reds are something <laughs> better. Yeah, it was, you know what's fitting. Uh, I think well, it's a perfect name. Per- Give us something per- to work with, Red Wings. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect title. But uh, anyways, take care, everyone. All right, see you next time.